This is Brian Overstreet, and you're listening to The People Podcast. Welcome to episode 39 of The People Podcast. Did you know that every year there's a United States Barista Championship that crowns the best baristas in the country? One of the winners from this year's amazing competition was Brian Overstreet, and it's an honor to welcome him to the show this week. Brian and I talked about everything, the coffee industry, what it was like to compete in the U.S. Barista Championship, and all the cool things he's doing at his coffee shop in San Francisco, the coffee movement. Speaking of the coffee movement, if you want to check it out yourself, you are in luck because we're doing a gift card giveaway. There's two gift cards available, so check out the link in the episode description to see how you can win. I got to give a big, big shout out to Brian for making this giveaway possible. He has such a unique story and I really learned a lot from him. So without further ado, let's hear from the star of this week's episode, Brian Overstreet. Brian, it's so great to have you on the show. How's it going? I'm doing so well. Thanks to be here. I appreciate it. Uh, It's a beautiful day in San Francisco. We don't get them all the time, so I'm trying to enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start right there. I know we talked a little bit off the air about it, but um, where were you born? What is the Brian Overstreet origins? Yeah, the origin story. I like that. Um, I'm born here in the Bay Area, uh, Daly City native, and then kind of raised all over the place, but North Carolina, Phoenix, Arizona, and then um, back here in the Bay. Pivoting to your coffee career, I want to go back to when you were first introduced to it. Do you remember when you first tried coffee, and was it love at first sip? Love at first sip. Gosh, I um, I wish I could say that was the case. I think it was a young kid. I was trying to um, wash down my coffee cake with my dad, and I probably had a sip of that coffee. It wasn't the love at first sight, but, you know, I did see the people that I did love um, drinking coffee on a regular basis, so... Um, I had some good examples, but I think for me, coffee came into my life um, when I was studying for paramedic school. Um, it kind of got me through that. As a single child, I was always looking for communities as well. So not only was it a place to study, but it was a nice place to find like-minded people um, where I always felt comfortable. Well, nowadays, I know you can make a bunch of delicious coffee drinks, but what was the first one you made that you were really proud of? Uh, the first one I made it, but I was really proud of Um you know, it takes a long time. It took me a long time to make something I was proud of. I think that's the most good thing. Um, but the one that I, the one that I make for my partner in the morning is probably the one I'm most proud of. Um, but coming down the line training, I think a milk beverage is something that I've really found um, a lot of happiness kind of gaining control over. Um, serving a cappuccino or a latte to someone, um, good milk texture, good flavor. Um, and then topping it off with a little bit of latte are always is an easy way to make someone stay. So I'd probably stay right there. You know, I, I'm not a barista at your level by any means, but I've been working on my craft. And lately, I feel like I've almost perfected the vanilla latte. I'm a big fan of those yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the vanilla latte is the way to go. Um, at the coffee movement, our shop in the city, our seasonal syrup rotates. Um, every three to four months and it's usually a vanilla base and then we have a seasonal infusion so you're right on it the crowd favorite the vanilla yeah i gotta stick with that for now although i am starting to branch out a little as well but let's branch out to the big topic i wanted to talk to you about brian and that's the united states barista championship first off big congratulations on finishing as one of the winners in this year's competition 
And second, when did you first realize that this was something you wanted to compete in? Yeah, um, well, coffee competitions um, have been something I've kind of viewed from the outside for a long time. I never competed myself. My business partner and best friend, Reese Bissette, um, has been the coffee competition person for our company uh, since we started, and he's done really well. So I had some big shoes to fill. And then I had like a good example of what it took, the dedication and kind of commitment to it. So I was nominated, or it was actually a lottery system uh, this year, just because the the coffee competition hadn't taken place in two years. So to kind of re-enter ourselves, they did a really even format, and that was a lottery system. So when I got picked, um, in that moment, I was a little nervous. It was something that I kind of put my name in the hat for, not expecting to hear anything back. And when my name was drawn, um, I had a conversation with the team, the coffee movement team, and everyone was just so encouraging and motivating. Um, I couldn't say no. Um, and honestly, this competition was such a team effort. So I really found a lot of happiness there. It was like a shortcut to getting um, our whole company really activated, engaged with the industry. It was really awesome. So a lot of fruits came from this tree um, that I didn't really expect. And it was a really good experience. That's great to hear. And I know that the competition itself is vigorous. You have to make multiple drinks for multiple judges, but I know it also goes much deeper than that. For those that aren't totally familiar with it, can you kind of break down the format of the competition? Yeah, absolutely. So the competition kind of has a lot of subsections. Um, the barista competition, which I took part in, kind of encompasses all of the skills. Um, so it's a, you can think of it as a TED Talk meets Iron Chef. <laughs> there are a couple different disciplines. You're serving 12 drinks in 15 minutes to four judges. Um, the sensory judges are sitting at a table, those four judges. They get served four espresso beverages, four milk and espresso beverages, like a cappuccino, and then four seasonal or signature drinks. So, yeah, it, you know, comes along with a thesis. Um, you're talking for 15 minutes around the three different coffees that you're serving. Um, they're judging everything from standardization of like using your tools, cleanliness, professionalism, and then really flavor calls. So a knowledge of the coffee and what you're doing with it to manipulate it. And then kind of speaking about the finished product as you're making it. So calling out flavor notes is really important, tactile experiences. Um, and it's a really a sensory experience for the judges. So uh, the coffee shop in San Francisco we have an approach, it's called the, a multi-roaster. So we're kind of like a wine shop for coffee. Um, our rotating menu is always changing. And we have the opportunity of working with producers and roasters from around the world. So my coffee competition routine, I served three different roasters. I took them on a tour around the world. So a roaster from Sydney, Australia, a roaster from the Netherlands, and then a roaster right here locally in San Francisco. I served a Colombian coffee for our espresso, a Brazilian coffee for our milk beverage, and then a Santa Barbara Honduras coffee for our signature drink. So really, I mean, this was an experience that um, kind of had a really wide range. That was our version of accessibility and inclusiveness. Um, we are including a bunch of different people along the way. And we, we came home and served that competition menu for about two weeks. So it was just really fulfilling to be able to bring that competition um, seen and experienced back home and serve our immediate community. That was kind of one of the more important parts for us as a team, um, not making it such an experience that happens within a vacuum, uh, something that we could bring home and share with our neighbors. 
What an amazing process. I mean, you said it all right there. 12 drinks in 15 minutes, and the entire time you're talking to the judges and explaining everything and entertaining them. So I imagine this would require a ton of practice. But what exactly was the practice like for you? And, you know, what were your practice sessions like? Yeah, I love that. Great question. Um, (laughs) I wish I had a glamorous, awesome coffee lab that I could give you a cool story. Um, but maybe this is a more authentic, real story. I mean, our coffee shop is a small business in San Francisco. Um, we have a footprint of about 400 square feet. And we rent out a garage across the street to kind of store all of our dry goods. Um, that coffee shop or that garage also holds our event cart that holds a GS3. And I just practiced um, in the, the garage for about six weeks. Um, it was a lot of creativity and imagination. Because um, we weren't using the proper machine or the layout. So we were just building boxes of um, to-go cups, making it into looking like a judge. We used milk crates for our judges' faces. Um, so it was, it was a pretty funny experience. There are a couple different approaches. Um, there are coaches that train um, people for these competitions. And um, it was just it was nice to have an organic. We couldn't go without, with beyond our means. So our training practices were after our shifts in the garage, um, you know, tasting coffee till about midnight and then getting up for an opening shift around 6 a.m. So it was um, it was an arduous process. But honestly, at the end of the day, it was really rewarding. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm just picturing you talking to these milk crates that you're using as judges and wowing even the milk crates way before you ever wowed yeah, the judges. Just, <laughs> my coach is like, I need you to I need you to keep that eye contact. I'm like, with what? The milk crate, um, but you know what, uh, perfect practice makes perfect. And I was just so fortunate to have someone in my corner that I was so experienced uh, by the name of Reese Bissett. Um, and he's just a coffee savant. So um, we're pretty fortunate. I love it. Well, I want to kind of circle back to your signature drink. You know, that's the part of the competition, which seems like the opportunity to really showcase your creativity to the judges. I know you mentioned that you had used some coffee from Honduras um, in your signature drink, but what exactly was the drink you made for this and how did you decide what to make? Absolutely. So um, our signature drink was actually our most popular beverage at the shop. It's our summer seasonal beverage. It's called a coffee cream soda. Um, and it has flavor notes of orange creamsicle or a coffee cream soda. And it's, um, it's the base is that Honduras espresso. We use a Tonka bean simple syrup. And Tonka bean is a member of the pea tree family um, or the pea family, a flowering tree. And it has hints of marzipan or vanilla if you break it down and make it into a syrup, which is what we did. Um, and we poured that over a frozen sphere and added tonic water to it. Um, we had a frozen sphere with an orange garnish in the middle just for visual um, appeal. It was something really, really special. There's a couple pictures on Sprudge, which is a coffee um, newscasting. So if you want to check it out for yourself. And then we'll also have it on the menu at the Coffee Movement here in about four weeks, which will be really cool. Coffee cream soda sounds delicious. I'm going to need to get my hands on one of those ASAP, Brian. Yeah, exactly <laughs> um, you know, one thing when I was watching this barista documentary that highlights the barista championship, I remember hearing that sensory judges can dock off points for little things such as touching your face during your presentation. Did you get docked for that? And if not, do you remember a few things that you did lose points for? That's hilarious. So yeah, professionalism is a huge thing for them. Touching your face is one of those things that you can get docked off for. 
I fortunately, as I mentioned before, had a coach kind of drilling me for weeks ahead of time. And I was had a real problem with touching my face. Um, thank goodness he was able to correct that before I went on stage. I didn't get any points off for that. But I, um, I did get points off for little things. Um, not grooming. We have a port of filter, just tools, use of tools. Um, it's just there's nuance. So you have to like wipe your tool before you enter it into the machine. Uh, you have to wipe your drip tray. And everything has to be kind of symmetrical and aligned with the next course because you have three courses. So I did get some small points off just for technical points. And that's uh, probably having that be my first time competing. A lot of those things are just a learning curve. So I look forward to correcting them next time. Well, it sounds like these judges don't miss anything, but hey, you still finished as one of the winners, so you were doing enough things right. But now, I want to talk more about your coffee shop in San Francisco, the coffee movement. I was reading that you opened it up after working at a cafe in Sydney, Australia. So what was it about the Australian coffee culture that inspired you to start the coffee movement? Uh, gosh, um, what didn't? You know, I mean, everything about it I fell in love with. Uh, I was a paramedic before moving to Sydney, Australia, and I was looking for a change of career. I had some friends starting a coffee shop out there, um, importing coffee from a small island off the coast. It's called Vanuatu. Um, Vanuatu is made up of hundreds of islands, but one of the islands is home to the most active volcano in the Southern Hemisphere. It's called Mount Isur. And when I went there with my friends on an origin trip, um, just the relationship happening between coffee producers and coffee roasters was something that I hadn't really experienced firsthand. And that wasn't just checking on the mill and the coffee bean quality. It was also checking on local communities, dropping off school supplies, soccer gear. And just that supply chain is just a, it's full of humans, humans doing the best they can. And um, I just felt like it was a cool way to serve my community. Um, as I said, I was looking for a second career. So it allowed me to be a part of that, but just not take so much from me on a daily basis. Um, so between that, you know, wholesome sourcing of coffee that they were doing in Sydney and then also presenting it in a form that is accessible to everyone. Um, the cafe I was working at opened at six o'clock. Our first customers would be the tradesmen, uh, trade people that come in, whether they're doing lawn or they're doing, um, random services. They were getting that same beautiful cup of coffee as the people that came in at nine thirty going to their suit and tie job. Um, so it was just that inclusiveness, that community-based service, um, is really what got, got me going. And then just the quality of coffee is, is it's next level. Um, and I just really appreciated their dedication to the craft. Well, Brian, the coffee movement is in San Francisco where the coffee craze is pretty strong. And I know you touched on the coffee cream soda and all these other delicious drinks and you feature different roasters from all around the world. But what do you think is the main thing that separates the coffee movement from other coffee shops? Yeah, I love that. Um, great question. I think you kind of mentioned some of it. I and mean, the fact that we feature roasters from around the world is really unique. Um, San Francisco has been known for some amazing roasters and roasters tend to do, they're doing it all. They're sourcing the coffee, they're roasting the coffee, they're serving the coffee. Um, but we're kind of taking the stance of providing a space, um, where they can plug into different things in the industry, whether it be roasters or origins. And we're focusing on taking care of the people. Um, so we do have some of the best coffees in the world, but it's nice not to have them be ours. Um, we're just kind of holding space, allowing those people to be featured and welcoming people into like a digestive form of specialty coffee. Um, I think most of the credit probably goes to our community, 
we're a very small coffee shop. We have a tiny little VW bus outside that kind of holds our newspapers. Um, and it's just a standing bar. And people are really, they're letting their guard down. They're talking with strangers. They're becoming friends. And it's been a... Um, it's been an amazing experience to be a part of, but we definitely can't take credit for all of it. It's a beautiful thing, Brian. Coffee is one of the great connectors in our society. So I love that the coffee movement is really capitalizing on that. And one thing I'm interested in, Brian, you know, you are full on in the coffee movement and the coffee industry, but there's so many intricacies involved in it, whether it's how you make it, the beans, or, you know, a number of other things. But what to you stands out as the most misunderstood thing about coffee? Mm, dang, the deep questions. I like it. The misunderstood thing. I think there's a couple things at play. Um, one of them being just the awareness of um, it's a crop. So it's, there's a lot of things going into it. Um, and I think wine has stood on its own as like a upper level commodity. And I think coffee needs to deserve to be put on that stage. Um, I'm not sure if people understand the amount of work and dedication going into making a beautiful cup of coffee. And that starts with, you know, um, terroir at the origin, you know, farmers planting. This is, you know, that portion of it hasn't changed in a long time. And it's a lot of hard work, a lot of really great intention. Um, so just, I think we're slowly building the community's education on why we need to pay for more coffee. And I think we have definitely here in America kind of, been okay with paying for two dollars we have we've ads all over the place you know you're paying three dollars four dollars for your cup of coffee come here and pay two um so i think the value of coffee has been misunderstood um for a long time so yeah it's nice that we're in an industry pushing that direction um standing up for farmers and making sure that everyone's being taken care of along the supply chain um and then the other one you know it's it's a it's a funny thing that (laughs) that um the position we didn't put in for one on one side of it, people want to pay less um, for coffee. And then on the other side, they'll walk into a specialty coffee shop and they think that it's just the thought of like a nose in the air um, or we're too good or we're fancy or, you know, it's all just those all white coffee shops can get a bad rap. Um, So just finding that happy medium, um, allowing people to come into a space and feel comfortable, but also making sure they realize what coffee is and where it's coming from, and just a willingness to pay a little bit more at the coffee bar, understanding where that's going, supporting farmers and this global kind of connectivity. Yeah, the whole process from farm to cup is a very interesting one. And um, what about this one, Brian? How about for the typical coffee drinker, you know, the everyday coffee person who isn't too dialed into all the details, but when they go to the grocery store, they're looking to buy some good coffee. Is there anything specific or a few things that they should look out for? Yeah, you're going to laugh at me. Most people might laugh at this. So I would say um, let's not go to the grocery store to, to find our good cup of coffee or good beans. Um, you know, I mean, it's the same thing. I'm, I do go to Safeway and pick up my produce, but if I'm going to make a meal and I really want some good produce, I'm going to the farmer's market um, on Saturday. I'm walking down to the, the ferry building. And it's just that same thing. I said, so let's let's start seeking out those good beans, those good people providing it. Um, I know that's a funny question. I kind of backed into it, but I would say let's <laughs> let's um, let's leave the grocery store and go seek out a small business that's roasting their own coffee, sourcing it ethically. Um, it might be three to four dollars more, but I think it'll be worth it in the long run. 
I got to say, that's a shot to the heart of my routine of getting the Trader Joe's espresso when I make my weekly visit. But you're hey. right. You're right. I, I think there's definitely better options out there, and it's up to me and to explore them. And that's a time them. and a place. Yeah. You know, a time and a place. Honestly, I mean, I'm not here to make anyone spend $19 on their bag of coffee. Um, but maybe when you do, if you start to understand the industry and you do have an appreciation for it, then maybe you find yourself buying a nice bag of coffee for your weekend something that you can treat yourself. Not everyone's in a position to, you know, pay premium prices for everything. So that's not my stance. Um, but it is something that we can be aware of. Let's seek out those, those finer things in life. And sometimes that's a nice tiger cup of coffee. Definitely. So I'm going to start branching out and buying less coffee from the grocery store because you're right. It does make a difference. But I got one more question for you, Brian. You have your own coffee shop. You are one of the winners of this year's U.S. Barista Championship. So when you look ahead, what's next for you? I can't believe. Just even hearing that back is pretty amazing. It's really a dream come true. Man, it's still settling in. So I'm going to try to be present and enjoy the moment. Um, But the future for me definitely revolves around coffee, definitely revolves around service. And those two things are always changing. So um, I look forward to staying on top of them and kind of putting our own spin on it. The coffee movement is... um, an amazing thing that we started five or six years ago. I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Our first location is in Chinatown, kind of a quiet, sleepy community. Um, we're coming up on five years, and we're just about to sign our second lease in the Richmond, another sleepy community that hopefully we get to serve in the next couple of months we'll be opening. So the future is bright. Um, I do look forward to competing again. Being um, immersed in that, obviously, the industry, um, that concentrated form, it really gave me a lot. The team is really motivated. So as I talked about those subsections of the competition, whether that be like Taster's Cup, Roaster's Cup, Brewer's Cup, um, the team wants to get involved. So absolutely, um, you can expect to see the coffee movement, hopefully right there up at the top. Um, but if nothing else, supporting that, that portion of the industry, um, pushing baristas to do their best, be engaged. And um, I'm just excited to be a part of it, to tell you the truth. Awesome. Well, best of luck to you, Brian, in your journey ahead. Really exciting things coming up. And uh, I really enjoyed hearing about your story. And I would love to meet up for a cup of joe sometime. Yeah, man. You know where we're at always. I really appreciate your time. I've listened to a couple of your podcasts in the past. And um, I just really appreciate what you're doing. And thanks for the highlight. You're the best. What a lovely conversation from one Brian to another Brian. I like to consider myself a pretty solid barista, but I don't know if I'll ever compete in the U.S. Barista Championship. Nevertheless, it was really fun to hear Brian talk about his experience in the competition, how he's progressed in his coffee journey, and all the great things he's doing with the coffee movement. But that's about it for episode 39. Episode 40 will feature another winner from this year's U.S. Barista Championship. So be sure to circle back next Wednesday for another installment of the People Podcast.